0: Welcome to the HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. This event was recorded live at the Fexton Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, always wonderful to see such a packed house for, um, I have to say, what I think is the best-named panel of the whole festival. <laughs> Blood, guts, and gratuitous violence. Uh, crime fans, I hope you've had your lunch. You're not feeling too squeamish. Um, expect murder, bloodshed, a vicious brawl or two, and that's just between the panelists. And uh, I'm Fiona Cummins, and proving the pen truly is bloodier than the sword, here are four titans of crime fiction uh, regular festival goers may recognize him, but he's here uh, today in a different guise. It's the Whisper Man himself, uh, Alex North, whose debut thriller has set Hollywood on fire. Uh, the, the Whisper Man was a Sunday Times bestseller when it came out earlier this year, and uh, it's being developed into a film by the Russo brothers who directed Avengers Infinity War, no less. Um, Described as mesmerizing and masterful, it tells the story of a grieving father and his seven-year-old son who moved to the quiet town of Featherbank for a fresh start. But 15 years ago, Featherbank was stalked by a serial killer whose victims heard a whispering at the window, and there are rumors his accomplice is still on the loose. Criminal justice social worker turned author Helen Fitzgerald is the brilliant brain behind a string of taboo-breaking, thought-provoking thrillers that excel at pushing her protagonists to extremes. Um, Her novel, The Cry, was a smash-hit four-part series for the BBC last autumn, uh, pulling in six million viewers. Very impressive. Um, Her latest novel, Worst Case Scenario, has also been optioned for TV in a seven-way auction. Um, And it tells a story of menopausal, drug-addled, (laughs)
1: Sex-obsessed,
0: downright outrageous, uh, probation officer Mary Shields, um, who is tasked with supervising a wife-killer on his release from prison uh, with devastating, and it has to be said, darkly funny consequences. Sarah uh, Hillary's debut novel, Someone Else's Skin, won the Thingston's Crime Novel of the Year in 2015, and her D.I. Marnie Rome series has received widespread critical acclaim ever since, with the Times describing her female detective as a three-dimensional character of an emotional depth rarely encountered in the world of fictional cops. Um, In Never Be Broken, the sixth novel in the series, D.S. Noah Jake, uh, who is grieving the loss of his brother, take centre stage and it's authentic, complex, heartbreakingly real um, and it offers an uncompromising take on on drug and gang culture and uh, what lies beneath London's glittering veneer. Our final guest, needs no introduction, is a man with many strings to his bow, one sixth of the fun-loving crime writers fresh from Glastonbury. He's been a stand-up comedian, script writer, actor um, and as the Sunday Times best-selling author of the the D.I. Tom Thorne books. He's one of our biggest names in crime fiction. Uh, Mark, and it says on your website, uh, I will dance for beer and small change. (laughs) Mark, how about Oh, yeah, that's
2: it. (laughs) Here we go. Um,
0: His latest novel, Their Little Secret, is a fascinating exploration of the lies we tell ourselves and each other and how a chance encounter between two strangers can trigger a dangerous thirst to murder. So uh, so ready up. Today's weapon of choice is our words. And uh, let's get started. So it strikes me that while all your books are very different in style and tone, all four of you handle the violence that's an inevitable part of crime fiction um, in a similar way. It, it's not explicit. It's not blood, guts and gratuitous violence. Um, it's implied. Alex, is, is this a deliberate choice?
3: It's, the way you say that, it makes it sound like we're all the wrong people. To the <laughs> <way now. laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean it's uh, absolutely a deliberate choice for me. I have, you know, it, I will write violence if it's important, um, violence explicitly if it's important to the plot. But I always um, think that it's better to kind of imply it as much as possible to make it implicit. I mean, there's a scene in The, the Whisper Man um, which would be incredibly upsetting. Uh, if I actually describe it in detail, a, a child has been murdered, and the police find his body. And I made a conscious sort of effort not, when they're at the scene, the body isn't described in any way. It's like uh, the, the child is not there anymore. They're just they're just circling an absence, uh, and they're talking about sort of um, a very sort of um, subtle details about it without describing the body in any way. And I don't. I, I think it would be very dif- difficult to. Um, as a writer, to, to write that kind of scene explicitly, uh, and as a reader, to read it. And you, you always wanted to be thinking about the effect you want to be having on, on, on your reader. And what I wanted was to kind of d- d- this sense of loss. And if you don't describe the violence in any way, then you just have, kind of have that absence, I suppose. It's a, sense, yeah, a sense
0: of what's going on behind the curtain, I suppose. And I think, Mark, you said something I read in an interview where you said actually a single drop of blood in a pristine white kitchen is much more powerful than, you know, blood spatter all over the walls.
1: Yeah,
2: and, but I think it took me quite a long time to figure that out. I, I think certainly early on, there's a degree to which maybe you're encouraged to, to write rather grisly scenes. Um, and after a while, you figure that less is more and that actually our job is to, is to let the reader Imagine that stuff, because a reader's imagination can conjure up a scene far more kind of, you know, grisly and whatever than anything you can describe um, on the page. I mean, I completely agree with Alex. It's about, well, I think we're all writing about what violence does to people. Yeah. And as long as you describe that in detail, yep. you know, the pain, either physical or emotional, that's much more important than actually describing the violence itself.
0: And what do you think, Sarah? I mean, I think, you know, in your latest book, um, you know, it's, again, it's, it, there's, there's two quite... Dark scenes, I would say, particularly at the end um, involving the scene when um, you know, D.S. finds himself um, at the mercy of someone with a stun button. I mean, that was quite a dark scene, but you were still quite careful with the, the way that you described it.
4: Yes, I thought that was really important. I learned a lesson quite early on when I was a reader, um, speaking with another reader of crime fiction. I knew I wanted to be a writer at that time, but I, I hadn't quite made inroads into it, and um, she said to me that she'd just been reading um, a book where you know, c- the, 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 the serial killer's motif became so in- increasingly bloody um, and shocking that she started to laugh When she was, and that is not the effect that the author had wanted to have, quite Mm. clearly. Um, But it was a defence mechanism for her, and I always think you've got to be really careful. You've got to think about the emotional impact you want to have on the reader, Um, and you you might want to shock them, and to scare them, and to move them. But the last thing you want to do is to either make them laugh at something that's inappropriate, that you wouldn't, you know. And she felt bad for laughing. She didn't. She didn't. You know. She felt it was really she shouldn't be laughing at something that was so awful and dreadful. Um, And I think also I've read some. Books where I've, I've become numb to it because it becomes so, you know, um, shocking, and you, and it's again, it's a natural defence mechanism. I think it's the, human nature. You go, I don't want to read any more of that. It's making, it, it's upsetting me too much. And again, the last thing you want as an author is to make your readers feel numb. I mean, that's you know, you've really failed if you've done that. Well,
0: and presumably you don't want someone to find either um, something ridiculous or the worst thing to put the book down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah because that is not what we're after obviously. Yeah. What about you Helen? I mean your your book is I think it, you know if you talk about violence, I think there's a real violence of feeling in your book, but, the, but there was a, there's a, and there's a scene um, involving a port-a-loo, um which is very dark, um, but again it's no spoilers you see but, uh, but I, I really want, want to know what that yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> It's great, but it's, it's really dark, but you know you touch on it, but you're, you're not doing it in detail.
5: Yeah well, I mean I'm describing a violent world. I was writing about Paisley where I worked in, um, near Glasgow. And the, the criminal justice world, and I wanted to give us a kind of, picture of the offenders that I worked with there and how crime feels. So, yeah, I was trying to do that, but I, my feeling is that it's a bit like car chases and sex, you know, that those things usually hold stories up, and I just want to fast <laughs> forward because, you know, nothing's going to happen yeah. until it's over. So, unless it's telling you something that's moving the story on, um, I won't put it in. Yeah. Do we think, um, as a panel,
0: that crime writers have a responsibility not to glorify violence? or should it be entertainment first? Well, I
2: just think Helen just said something really interesting, which is it's about writing about what violence feels like. And that's much different to what it looks like. And it's kind of easy to write what it looks like. And it's very easy, from what you were just saying, it's very easy to make a reader go, ugh, that's kind of easy. It's easy to disgust the reader, because we're all disgusted by the same things, or we should be. But trying to make a reader care about a character, that, that's our job, and describe what it feels like to be the victim of a crime or the relative of a victim of a crime. That should be the job. We're all writing about violence, of course we are, mm. but what it looks like is kind of the least important thing, in a way, I think.
0: Do you think, I mean, are you ever asked to take something out of your books?
2: Um, occasionally, you, usually by foreign publishers. The Germans, the mm. <laughs> the Germans are oddly... Um, uh, squeamish about certain things to do with sex and violence. <laughs> the Germans, for heaven's sake! <laughs> um, and I had to take something out of the end of one book that was uh, they didn't like very much. But, aside from that, no, not really. Um,
0: and what do you think? Do you think we have a responsibility not to glorify violence, or do you think we should be thinking... About you know books. Ultimately, lots of people buy books for, for entertainment reasons. Well,
4: I think obviously we are trying to entertain. I don't think we can get away with that. But I get away from that. But I do. Th- I don't. I wouldn't say it's so much a responsibility. I'd say exactly as Mark has said. It's not interesting to glorify violence, and it's not. It, it, you know, I don't believe that the majority of readers are interested in that aspect of crime fiction. Um, um, because if you look at the the kind of crime fiction that's being. Um, written and published and read, um, the the, the things that interest people are Consequences of grief, um, how you you work your way through the feelings associated with loss. They, that those are the theme. Those are the themes behind the books that I think are the are the bestsellers, um, and certainly the ones that are most talked about and um, by readers and, and in reader groups. I don't think. I mean, you wouldn't have a readers group where you sat down and talked about well, how glorious was the violence in this book? Who you know, on a scale of one to ten, was this the most violent book? You know, you know people don't talk about books for that, and I would find it really boring if. That That's what I was meant. If my job was to talk about violence, um, then I wouldn't find it particularly interesting. So I think it does all come back to emotions. What
0: do you think?
3: (coughs) As to whether we have a responsibility not to glorify, no, I don't actually think we 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 have a responsibility not to glorify violence. We are uh, writing books, which are pieces of entertainment, Uh, and so our responsibility really is to justify the entry fee for readers. Um, we don't have that kind of moral culpability, I, th- I don't think. But I, if, you, if you did glorify violence, I think you would lose readers in that way. Um, obviously, you have your own personal responsibilities as to what you're trying to achieve with your writing. So you know you have to be true to yourself and what in the vision that you're trying to do. Uh, but no, I mean it's just the responsibility is to deliver a good book. But I don't think we do. I don't. I don't know many books that glor. There's different. What, there's different kinds of violence. You know, that's the thing. Um, I don't know much crime fiction that glorifies heinous violence that we all abhor or anything like that. I think you know we look at the, look at it and look at the effects of it and how it feels. Um, but we, you know, films glorify violence all the time. Look at Bond. You know, I yeah. mean, that, it's just vi- you, you know, that's it glorifying
5: violence, isn't it? What do you think? Um, I think the idea of responsibility and that I had to have something to say writing a book is what put me off and stopped me writing for about 20 yep. years actually. I was you know I must have something to say what is it I can give and show the world and I'd write just the biggest load of wank and you know, <laughs> it was only when I decided to forget all of that and just write a good story and see what happens. Um, saying that I think underlying, you know, my, my from my job and the sort of person that we all are the people that we are, I think um, naturally, I want to get a character what, right, you know, you want to feel that it's a Believable situation and a believable um, person. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think I. I think the responsibility thing is. I don't have that at all. Uh. Get an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Her books are absolutely brilliant. If you haven't read them,
0: um, I mean, in I suppose books like I don't know, say American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis or uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, um, the murderous violence in that kind of real or fantasizes is. is off the scale in some ways. I mean, we're talking about not glorifying violence here, but you know, in American Psycho, there's smearing, you know, a dead body against a, uh, the matter from the body against a bedroom wall, or, or you know, scalping, um, collecting the scalps of uh, the Apache tribes. Um, and yet, both of these books, I think, you could say, have become modern classics. So, how far is too far? Is there, you know, is there, can you go too far? What do you think?
4: Um, it's oddly enough, when you, were, when you were describing those two things, I was thinking of Tom and Jerry cartoons. Because, you right. know, <laughs> that, that yeah. that mm-hmm. when you take violence to that sort of, you know, sort of iconic level, um, it does become... And the violence in Tom and Jerry cartoons is something else, isn't it, really? Um, and so I think there's, it becomes... You need to tread a, a, a line between, you know... Um, talking about violence, and I don't think either of those two books are trying to talk about violence in terms of um, contemporary society and the people affected by it. I don't yep. believe that's what those authors were trying to do. Which is
0: what you do in your book. Yes,
4: right? and so I think um, uh, they've set out to do something quite extraordinary, I and mean, Cormac McCarthy is interested very much in language, yep. um, in his, and his narratives bear little or no resemblance to uh, any known reality, for for a reason, I think. And I, I, Similarly, I think American Psycho is basically like, it's like a pop Song to violence, isn't it? That's and he did that, that was deliberate. Um, So I think that's very different to most crime fiction. Certainly, I think that we're all writing, Um, and I I feel we we approach it differently for that reason. Is there anything you wouldn't write about? Um, There's some things that I I have questioned whether I. Assume, uh, the second book in my series, No Other Darkness, involves um, the the death of children, but not in the way that you think it does when you start reading the book. And it upset. Uh, the, the 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 beginning of the book made me cry, and several readers told me that it made them cry. Um, and. Um, it was uh, interesting that, uh, actually, it's the favorite book of, of one of my loyalist readers. So she's in Australia. Um, and the reason she likes it is because it deals with a very dark subject that had affected her personally in the most atrocious and appalling and horrific way. Um, and um, But she found the book touched something in her, and she was really grateful to me for having written it. Now, you don't know that when when you're writing a book, whether it's going to have that effect on readers. Obviously, you hope that it will touch somebody in that way. But to touch somebody that had been through something that was worse than anything that I had written or possibly would write. Um, And I think that's the sad reality of this, isn't it? I mean, I met a a forensic um, sociologist yesterday who said some of the things that she has seen every week in her job, if you wrote it in a book, people wouldn't believe it um, because it's so much more awful than... People will conceive of, Um, and I think that's in some ways the real tragedy. Is that you know um, I think, and and also that comes back to the issue of what we're trying to write about. I don't think we're we're setting. We want to be writing honest books, books that reflect the reality of most or um, some human beings. But what we wouldn't want necessarily to do is to scrape the bottom of the darkest barrel. And sadly, it's it's being scraped in reality, you know, that's the, but sometimes those people that have been through those terrible things are the, are people that go on to become crime fiction fans for, for the reasons of, I don't know what it might be, recovery or simply just feeling that their story has been told or felt by, by somebody else.
0: You talk about sort of, I don't know, terrible things in reality, and I think, Mark, with your, um, previous book, you, um, you had a, killer, in the in the killing habit. Um, and was that a difficult kind of decision? Because readers are often not fans of animals being... <laughs> <laughs> if, the,
2: if there's one, thing's all, or one thing all crime writers know and that we talk about in dark corners at festivals like this, it's like, do whatever you like to a person in a book. Whatever you like. <laughs> and readers will be... Th- Tip-top with that. Touch the hair on an animal's head and they will come after you. Um, and this was it wasn't like I was just going, what can I do that's horrible to animals? It was based on a real case, the case yeah. of this cat killer. And no cats were her on the page. <laughs> but still I would do events to promote it and people were coming up afterwards with trembling chins going... I, c- I just can't read it, I can't, I, just <laughs> and I, I really don't get that. Um, but something you just said, so really, uh, really, something I think about a lot, that is that cartoon thing, is Tom and Jerry. Mm. Because when Tom, in, the, in Tom and Jerry, Tom gets hit on the head by an anvil, right? And his head goes anvil-shaped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the next frame, it's gone back to normal. Mm. And, and I think that's the key to kind of what we do, because we're trying to write characters that stay anvil-shaped. Because one, an act of violence will change a person. Yeah. Any act yeah. of violence, let alone the stuff we put our characters yeah. through. Yeah. And especially if you're writing a series. Yes. You know, Marnie Rome is not the same at the end of one book, let alone a oh. series of four or five books. Oh. And, and nor should she be, because the, these acts of violence are changing people. And that's kind of what we're writing about.
0: So what about you? Is there anything
3: that you wouldn't touch upon? Well, yeah, there are yeah, plenty of things. But you've killed a cat. The, the Devil's Staircase. Know, yes. I've killed a cat. A <laughs> <of herself>.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's my most violent book, and I, I look back on it, and I wish I could just... Save little, the cat. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people really liked it. Save the cat, not write the book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what were you going
3: to say? Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, is there anything I wouldn't do? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I th- you see, I don't think you can go too far. I think you can... Uh, you you can just do it wrong. Uh, And so, I mean, the things that I wouldn't... I mean, there are certain things that I wouldn't feel comfortable writing about, and I don't think that if I was writing a book about um, sexual violence or rape or something like that, I don't feel I would be comfortable uh, doing an explicit scene about that, and I don't think the book that I would be writing would require it. Uh, So it's not that if, if, if a story did require me to write a really explicitly horrible, violent scene, then I would do it, but the stories that I tend to come up with don't require that. And it's much more effective, I think, um, to kind of sort of close the curtain over and to see the after effects, uh, and you can hint at how awful something was uh, without actually depicting it. You know, I mean, it's like I mean, this is what we're all saying, I think. Yeah. And
0: your characters are damaged by what they've been through. Of I course, you can see that.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yes. we all are.
0: Absolutely. And um, um, Helen, um, I was kind of curious because you've spoken um, about. Rage, rage that you felt, um, and that how you were given um, antidepressants before being diagnosed as having entered the menopause. Um, and you said, and I absolutely love this. Uh, a friendly colleague was taking ages washing her mug in the sink, and a, and a red wrist mist rose in me. I wanted to grab her head and shove it in the sink. And I said, Mary is one of your most extreme characters. And I was think, thinking, what's the darkest place you've ever, you know, your research has ever taken you? I mean, was, you know, that's kind of, you know all of that, is that feeling poured into worst case scenario?
5: Yeah, I mean, it, and it's a lot of it is from my work and um, I think because I look, I lo- was looking in that book in particular at rehabilitation, so you're looking at somebody's chances of doing it again and to decide that as a, in the job that I was in, psychologists and so forth, you really do need to know the details of what they did and you know what the risk of harm is, is very much dependent on just how horrific their behaviour was, you know, and so. We, you know, I was really, uh, really into and really interested in the minute details of offences um, and we had to be, you know, and we would ask pe- the, you know, offenders question, very detailed questions about what they did and every little detail absolutely mattered, it could make the difference between, you know, being very high risk of causing, you know, serious harm or not. But um, I was thinking about the books that I've written, and the very first one, Dead Lovely, I had a scene where the sex offender ends up with the main protagonist, is Chrissy, um, with her baby, and uh, and is setting up a camera to take photos and stuff. And I remember someone saying to me, oh, my God, I read that and thought, God, how far are you going to take this? And I did just leave it there. Um, because it'd be very, very uncomfortable and horrible reading, and it certainly would have been, wouldn't have been done for entertainment. But to kind of, un- I want to understand a guy like that. So to understand a guy like that, you do need to kind of know what their arousals are, and you know, st- it's all very icky and horrible. But I did leave it out. and I do leave that stuff I mean, out.
0: Because you, you, do you use your fiction presumably to process some of the things that you've been exposed to in your line of work as a, you know, as a criminal justice social worker? That must have been really quite damaging to you too sometimes.
5: Yeah, I think it was a really, really hard job. I don't think um, I realised until I got out of it just how much it affected me. I remember I used to come home and I'd say, you know, at the dinner, oh, my God, I met this guy today, this guy in prison, and he'd made up this story about me. he told everybody because I, I uh, recommended that he didn't get parole. So he made a story up about me shagging him, basically, and oh, gone God. around the prison. <laughs> on. Come home with stories like this, and, my son, and I'd say, oh, my God, my job's so exciting. And um, he'd say, it doesn't sound... You don't sound excited, Mum. You sound upset. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, oh, you're right. You know, I am really upset all the time by this job. And actually, I left pretty soon after that. And was writing a way to cope with them. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And also, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was writing, you know, when I was working in Barlini. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but uh, it was a really quiet job, so I wrote a lot in there. Right. It was just <laughs> <laughs> devil's staircase I wrote in Barlini. That's probably why it was so violent, actually. I remember writing the last line while I was sitting in the office of Barlini um, prison. So, yeah, I think I was probably processing you know some of the stuff I'd done but also it's just such great raw material
0: and what about you as the darkest place you've gone for research i mean i know you mentioned in the past you've talked about being kidnapped in a hotel room i mean was yeah. Have you gone darker? Than I, that?
2: I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I, no, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I've been a victim of, of violent crime, not you know really in a mild form of it, but but I, I suppose the, the, the darkest place I've been in in terms of research, I, I wrote I wrote a book about uh, so-called honour killing a couple of years ago, and researching that, but not in a kind of on the internet looking up facts and figures, but talking to people. And I don't, I've never been as angry writing a book. I got really quite angry. And really not knowing at the time whether that was going to result in a good book or a bad book, I thought right. this could be really bad, that I'm kind of furiously typing away. But the more I found out about it, the more I just got furious.
0: But it's important to write books with issues, though.
2: Um, well, I, I think it is, although I'm not sure I'd recommend it often. Because right. you end up then going, this is my book about this. This is my, you know, this is mm-hmm. my agenda for this book. And most of the, most of the books I think are written with an <laughs> agenda tend out to be quite bad. You know, the story's still got to be the most important thing. Unless you're writing an engaging story with characters people care about, it doesn't matter how important the issue is. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there wasn't a great deal of, of violence in it. In that, you, know, you, you must have all had this thing when a reader will come up to you and go, oh, that last book of yours, you know, really great, but oh, it was very violent. <laughs> and, you, and they'll go, which bit? And, and maybe they'll have the book with them and they'll go, oh, this book in chapter. And then they'll look at it and go, Oh, no, it wasn't, but yeah. I just kind of imagined that it was. Yeah. And you think, well, that, that, I've done my job, OK, and then.
0: That's what you want them really to do, to be imagining it.
2: Absolutely, bridge, right, yeah. well, it's like the psycho
3: shower scene, isn't it? Everybody thinks that's really violent, right. but You've never yeah. seen an ass no. no. go in or anything yeah. like that. It's and the music. And yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and Alex, your serial killer, um, he abducts five boys and, and then a, a sixth is now missing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite a dark place to go. Does it affect you while you were writing it?
3: No, no, I mean, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I went to a very dark I didn't have to do any research for the no. Whisperman because, yeah. I mean, it's all made up. And, yeah. it's, and the darkest place, I suppose, was just hanging out with my son, who was like, sort of seven, six, seven, eight while I was writing it. And, you know, so no, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly good at sort of setting myself apart from what I'm writing. Yep. It's kind of a, you know, you get into it and everything and you care about it, but a lot of it is a technical challenge. And I'm well aware that these are characters and they're not real. You know? So no boys were hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not real, you know. Yeah. So, it's, it's, so it's, it's really just the technical challenge of kind of doing it in a, a, a kind of um, sort of careful way to deal with the subject matter. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't upset anybody. And just to make the book work, you know. So that's what I'm thinking about. And actually, I, I leave that when I'm done, you know, and yeah, go, go and have tea.
0: Put it aside and forget about it. And, and Sarah, um, there's, a, there's a scene in Never Be Broken where a, a body falls from a high-rise block of flats and, and, and hits a car, which is incredibly realistic. Did you do a lot of research for that? Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that came out, out very that, wrong. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to, that's a perfect excuse to say that when I, um, uh, when I heard the, the title of this panel, before I knew uh, who was gonna, else was going to be on it with me, um, and I assumed it was a, a, work in ti- a work in progress, the title for this panel, <laughs> but I, was, I actually happened to be um, at a dinner with my mum and all of her cousins, so a, groom, a room full of, you know, sort of late 70s, early 80s, and my mother said, uh, Sarah's doing this panel in Harrogate this year. It's called Blood, Guts and Gratuitous Violence. And their faces were... And she went, I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lovely, a lovely, sincere moment. And I felt... No, did I... Um, no, i tell you where that came from, actually. It was some years ago, before I wrote my debut, in fact. Um, and I, it was by complete accident. And it was a part of the internet. I imagine now it's probably on the dark web. Um, but it wasn't on the dark web at that time. It was a, um, the, a most horrendous website. And I don't even know how I found it. Someone had told me about it um and i as i said i don't think it exists in on the main Internet anymore. It was called Rotten.com, and it had. Oh. Have you heard now of she's this? Told us it's well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, back in the day, and then there was
3: Ogrish and things like yeah. that that did the same. Death yeah. fetish footage. It
4: was terrible, and I don't even know how I knew about it. But I literally just clicked, and it was full of things like.
3: You just stumbled.
4: It, right? <laughs> just stumbled <laughs> These things happen. things happen. It's an old <laughs> laptop. I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I threw it off a high-rise. No, um, and it was, and, and there was a, a, a really shocking, a real photo of a young girl that had uh, done exactly that it was a suicide and I really wish I hadn't seen it and I um, really please don't go and look it up if in case it is still on there because the site it's very very and it but it never left me and I really wish I hadn't seen it but it, I, I just had, had and I only literally I saw it for one second a minute I saw it I shut it down uh, yeah. wished I hadn't seen it but it's right there I burnt onto my retina the image of this of this girl in the car because the, the car is kind of, you know, concertinaed around her, and it's, she's just in it, you know, trapped in this. And, and it was, um, but it's. I, I thought I spent a lot of time thinking about her, and I think maybe that was part of how I got over having, you know, the uh, trauma is a, lot, a strong word to use, but the shock of having seen this image was that I. I wanted to think about this girl's life, and I wanted to think about, you know, rather than her death—the horrific image of her death—was to think about. And so, I, you know, I, I knew what clothes she'd been wearing, so yeah. I'd seen, and I could I'd picture, you know, I, I knew how old she was and what her hair was like. And I began to sort of tell a story in my head about about this girl. And in fact, it's not the story I tell in *Never Be Broken*. It's um, she's not the same girl, but it was—it it did feel like you were saying to Helen, "Did it feel like a sort of?" you know, almost like a therapy to write, and, and I've been waiting for the right moment to tell this story about, and I think maybe the fact that this, everyone says how effective this, this scene is, and, um, and unfortunately it's witnessed by DS Noah Jake. It's one of the things that contributes to his trauma at the beginning of the book, um, and it is a really, you know, it's, it's such a shocking It's incredibly moment. powerful. Um, really and, powerful and, and, and maybe it's powerful because it was, it was real. You know, and, and I don't want to spend too much time thinking no. about that because it's quite upsetting in a way.
3: No, I mean, there's... A, a, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, go but there is, I mean, I'm familiar with that, and there is a proliferation of the similar sites online mm. now because when Rotten.com started, it was quite... Uh, the, the web was more yeah. in its infancy, and mm. now there are sites where you can see absolutely anything. Yeah. And the, the thing that shocks me most about them um, is you get the comments on the pictures, and it's people who are so callous. There is yeah. no empathy. They enjoy yeah. seeing these yeah. things, and that you know that's yeah, that's shocking. That's well, isn't that's what it? I
0: was just going to say because you know, if there is a, a terrorist attack, if there is someone going on a murderous rampage, and there is footage posted online, the first people, first thing people do is go and look it up, right? What does that say about us, do you think? Although
4: I, uh, the other thing that uh, actually influenced this t- the telling of that story of the girl that, that falls from the building was um, uh, this um, uh, 9-11 um, towers and the self-censorship of the American press to not tell the story of the people that jumped because there was this feeling that, yeah, yeah, they they, they felt that it, you know, and and some American people reacted very badly to those people that fell. They did a documentary, it was a very famous documentary called The Falling Man, which is excellent. It was a piece that, uh, you can look up the piece the man wrote, but it was a documentary as well. And there was such vitriol for the people that, had, by some people, for the people that had jumped, chosen to jump. And they were seen as suicides. now, you know, they weren't suicides, they were murdered. They were, let's be clear on that. I mean, they didn't choose to do... All they chose to do was not to burn to death. They chose to spend a bit of their last seconds of their life in the open air, but they weren't jumping... To live they knew what you know, and I, I was so shocked by this reaction, and they censored all the sound effects all the noises out of all the film footage, so when you ever you watch those documentaries that they always put up on the anniversary they 've all had the sound of the of the falling people landing um, stripped out of them, and nobody none of the newspapers would print any of the pictures of, of any and I, I felt I felt such... I still do. I feel really angry about that. I feel like those people were... Because they're victims too. Exactly, exactly. And I felt, you know, um, who is anybody to decide that that is... You know, that it would have been braver of them somehow to stay inside that building and burn to death than to, to jump from window, and they were seen as cowards. Yeah. And that's, that, to me, was terribly shocking. I've never quite got over that. But to come back to your point about feeling angry when you write a book as mm. well, I found a great um, quote by Patricia Highsmith, where she said, "You know, the, 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 the impetus for all crime writers is feeling an anger at injustice. That's what drives so many, and I really do believe mm. that. I think there is an underlying <laughs> you know, feeling of, you know, that, that that things aren't right. If things aren't right in the world, we need to... Well, that's what we're addressing.
0: And I think it's interesting, you know, going... sort of taking that point and running with it a little bit more, is that, um, you know, statistics suggest that men are most likely to be victims of violent crime and women victims of domestic crime. Um, but invariably, women are, are most often the victims of horrific crimes on the page, and your situation is a bit different, but um, I just wanted to see, why do you think that is? Why is it woman cast as victim?
4: Um, I think I I suppose it depends I mean I think there's there's been a big shift in crime writing recently I don't think I think it's um, easy to think that that's the case and actually I think if you were to take a proper sample of the books that are in the bookshop in the tent out there and look through and see how many of the victims were women I think it it might be surprising I think it might be a trope that we're living with the legacy of rather than an an actual reality now what do you think Helen do you feel
5: about it? Um, oh, I need to think about it for a second. Well, that's,
0: oh, I was going well, to say that to you, Alex. Actually, because Alex's book is really interesting to me because it's got a male detective, it's got a father and son relationship, and, and, and the six victims are all boys. There, there is no violence at all towards women, really, in that book. So, is that, no. is that a deliberate choice that you
1: made?
3: No, no. I mean, it's just the I, I wanted to write about fathers and sons. That was, that was the initial impetus for the book, and the kind of so the story grew out from there. And so it made sense to make. Uh, to, for the victims of the previous, uh, in the previous killings, to be boys, I think there is no violence against women in the book, yeah. which I think is probably quite—it's eligible for the Staunch Prize. <laughs> wow. 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 I'm sure. We'll come. Here <laughs> we go. And then the then audience, which
0: like, brings <coughs> me nicely. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I didn't say I'd submitted it. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. but I mean, why? The violence against men in society is frequently quite. Sort of. I don't mean this. And this is going to sound awful, but try and understand what I'm saying. It's quite boring, almost. You know, punch mm-hmm. ups in the street yeah, and things yeah. like that. You yeah. know, don't make excellent narrative yeah. fiction. And I think there is a sense that in S- Silence of the Lambs, right. Um, Everybody remembers like the woman in the pit, and people were up in arms about it. You know, it's quite misogynistic. It's violence against women, but no women are killed in that film at all. It's two security guards in the middle that everybody forgets about and doesn't care about. Yeah, Yeah, nobody cares about them at all. And partly, not partly because they're men, but they're incidental to the plot. And I think there is a sense in which um, sort of women almost make. Men are expected to save themselves, perhaps. I don't think that's right, you know, but I think maybe there is a sense of that in books, that women sort of, you know, make better victims almost in a way. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, Steve Steve mentioned the words the staunch Prize. And I'm, I'm hey, there that, we go. Uh, that was the first mention of Steve. <laughs> I'm going to touch on it really briefly, and I don't know if everybody knows what that is. And I'll, I, it's it's a controversial prize um, for books in which no woman, I'm quoting here, is beaten, stalked, sexually exploited, raped or murdered. Um, and, you know, it really did cause quite a lot of controversy amongst crime writers, because I think most crime writers probably feel that, you know, while, victi- while women are, are victims of... Violence will write about violence, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, there was the recent headlines involved the fact that the organizers were claiming that uh, the portrayal of sexual assaults in crime novels meant that ordinary men were not being convicted of crimes because, of, because they'd internalized the popular culture image of the nighttime stalker or, you know, rape in an alleyway, when actually lo- most women are victims of.
2: You know, domestic. What do you think about that, Mark? Oh, God, why am I the first one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. I don't think you're going to get any disagreement over no. the however many hundred crime writers here this weekend. It's, it's a nonsense. It's just ridiculous. And I, and I think this prize that's been set up by somebody who's actually just after some publicity, let's be honest about it, um, is judging contemporary crime fiction through some weird version they've got of TV drama from ten years ago. Do you know what I mean? It's quite clear that, that the people behind this prize are not reading contemporary crime oh, yeah. fiction. It's, uh, the whole idea of a, uh, giving an award to a book for something it doesn't contain is just mm. ridiculous anyway. Um, and it's deeply insulting, uh, especially to the female crime writers who are tackling violence against women. It's deeply insulting to writers, to writers like Sarah and Helen and Val McDermott and Denise Minor. And Boyden. People have written about this stuff uh, for a reason um anyway rant over well, and also it's because... just bonkers well, no, it's bonkers but you're
0: right because actually you know going back to what we said you know women are often victims of domestic crime you know people will be raped by their partner or you know the coercive control that kind of thing so of course it needs to to, to feature in crime fiction. So, in completely what you said, they're not... They're but not also reading. it means
2: a book that features the most horrendous and gratuitous violence against male children yeah. or male adults is completely acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should let Sarah go to town on this. No, Sarah's written rather brilliantly about yeah. this recently. So.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, two things occur to me. One is that how strange to set up a prize for... Um, a genre of fiction that you clearly are not reading. Um, It's a very strange uh, impetus. Most people who get behind a cause, it tends to be because it's their passion. And I do very much feel that this is... I feel like almost like sending a care package to the organisers of (laughs) of contemporary crime fiction to to try and and help them understand a little bit more about um, the thing that they're pretending to be experts in. Um, But I also feel more strongly than that. I really do feel um, that it's, it's not a prize so much as a gagging order. You know, I mean, it's the women that are being told that we shouldn't be writing about these issues and, you know, readers to be made. I mean, how many times do we have the whole the guilty pleasure of crime fiction conversations? Um, you know, I mean, I've been invited to panels where that's been the title of, it, uh, you know. Um, and I just... I mean, and when I, You know, that, that takes me down a different avenue, which is, you know, I'd love to see some literary... Um, writers um, asked whether they feel guilty about having written a tenth book about white, middle-class, midlife crises, frankly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because they, they ought to be starting to feel a bit <laughs> bad about that. But yeah. no, they don't, so that's OK. But, no, I'm, I think... Uh, <laughs> <go> on, Sarah, <laughs> come on, Sarah, on. come back to a point that Steve <laughs> made right at the beginning, I think violence takes many forms... And I think, you know, censoring women yeah. for... Because women aren't believed, are they? You know, that, we know that. So if you've been um, assaulted, the chances are you're discouraged from going to the police, often even by your loved ones assuming your loved ones weren't the ones responsible. um, Because you will be treated badly, you won't be believed, you'll be subjected to some sort of humiliating interrogation. It'll be like a second assault, you'll be made to go through all of these awful. So the silencing begins there. Um, And then, you know, if you go to court, then you've got to appear and you've got to be, you know, uh, and you're discouraged again, because it'll it'll be horrendous, won't it, if you have to do that. And this seems to me like it's just an extension of that. It's another way of saying, shut up women, your experience is not valid, you shouldn't Talking about it, we're not interested in it. Let's pretend it doesn't exist, um, and as you, as Mark says, write about murdering children instead because that seems to be fine. Um, so, the whole thing is, yeah, I, I, it is ridiculous and very offensive, I think, personally, I to readers as
5: well. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Come on. Yay. <laughs> I mean, in my job, if they, you know, we'd taken all of those offences out of my job, I wouldn't have had anything to do. You know, I, like <laughs> I was saying, the real world. I'm trying to reflect yeah. that was everywhere, and you know, and to be able to write about it in a way that, you know, and I'm a feminist. I'm, a, you know, and I'm writing it from a feminist perspective, female, female point of view. Um, I feel like, you know, giving the um, the real effects of of what it feels like to be on the uh, receiving end of that kind of um, offence is really, really important. And actually, we were talking before about being upset, you know, and upsetting people. I really like upsetting people, you know, because (laughs) I think violence is upsetting, and you should feel it, you know, so. I go for that. I like to make myself cry. It's kind of a rule. If I don't cry at certain events, then it's not right. I have to go back and start again until I cry. But it might just be exhaustion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think, and it's interesting, we've got a, a fair gender split on, on the panel, and I think it was Val that once said, um, with a handful of exceptions, and I think she included you in this um, number, Mark, that women write uh, what it feels to be like a victim, and men write um, from the point of view of spectator. Uh, do you think that's fair?
2: Uh, yeah, I think, I think to a degree it is. I mean, um, you know, this this small, relatively small act, act of violence that I was on the receiving end of means that when I um, do write about it now, I'm, I am just generally writing about it. I can almost not quite remember what happened, but I can remember what I felt when it was happening. I remember how scared I was, and I remember my heart thumping so much that I was bouncing off the carpet, and I can remember wondering if I was going to see my wife and kids again. I can remember that. That's what matters, not what it felt like when I got... Punched, or do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think that's largely true because I think that the, the point that Val is making is that uh, an awful lot of women grow up with the kind of feeling like they are potential victims because they're, they're brought up that way. Don't go, you know, make sure you don't walk home on your own and do all that stuff in a way that young men aren't. So I think it does possibly affect the way men and women write differently about violence. But I think the simple fact is, just going back to the whole staunch debate, just briefly, <laughs> that if, but if, every, if every person in this room named their favourite crime novel, yeah. you know, 99 out of 100 of them would not be eligible for this stupid prize. Yeah. Whether it's a cosy novel or a serial killer thriller or it's Scandi or whatever it is, it wouldn't meet the ridiculous criteria of this award. And I just think, you know, not once actually has, has the woman behind this award debated it. No. You know, in public, and any time you take on, like you took yes. on in the papers, it's just like she goes, la, 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 <laughs> long As long, as people, are, hits, as, long as, as people yeah. are paying to enter her... Uh, yeah, competition. I mean, that's the thing. The problem with it is that... You, you, so, sorry. No,
3: go for uh, it. I've not said <laughs> anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Say Come it! On. Say uh, it! You know you want it. The problem is... That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that when there is criticism of her and she responds, she sounds so reasonable. And there is actually a, this massive discrepancy between the way she, the, the organiser defends herself against criticism. And, you know, if you listen to her, you would just think, oh, it's, we, we're just trying to promote books that don't inc- include violence with women. What's the problem with that? No problem with that at all. It's the fact that she really hates books that include violence with women and thinks they're exploitative and thinks, as you, know, as you were saying, that we actually contribute. Um, to sexual violence in real life. And how insulting is that to writers, but to readers as well, to think that, they're so, that they will just be brainwashed by yeah. the narratives yeah. that we produce. And and she, said she used the
4: phrase, she said that we were celebrating violence. Celebrating, said, that's, uh, the word. You know, that's yeah. That was our objection to the prize, was because we wished to celebrate violence yeah. against women.
3: I haven't. I have read ludicrous. a crime novel in recent years that celebrated violence no. against women in any no, capacity. No. And
0: you, oh no, totally and you,
2: hasn't. you're all violence <laughs> celebrators, what do you All think of you. That,
0: Helen? I mean, do you think you that know celebrating violence? Well, no, about women write and what they feel, and, and and male writers write as spectators. Do you think that's
5: true? Well, I don't think it is anymore. I mean, I don't know. It. Well, I know one that I read anyway, yeah. um, and I think people are being much more careful about it. And I think it's probably a good thing if we're all thinking about making sure that you know that we're not writing exploitative.ly um, but I don't see it as a huge problem um, at the yeah. moment. And, you, and
0: um, you mentioned it briefly earlier. We were talking, it touched on kind of television and film and stuff. And we were saying, um, you know, or I was thinking that, you know, in things like I don't know, Line of Duty, or you know, if anyone watched the Walking Dead, or there was one series in particular. There seems to be an acceptance of extreme violence on television, um, in film, in a way that in a way that perhaps extreme violence in books still has the ability to strike an emotional gut punch people still you know react very strongly to that and i think do you think that elevates books to a medium um, that makes us feel something that perhaps other media can't make us feel you know do you think books do something that, that television and film don't
2: well, of course, because crucially, you can be inside a person's head mm-hmm. in a way that on, on television or film, unless you have a sort of cheesy voiceover, you can't be. So on TV and film, you're seeing the violence. That's mm-hmm. and, and boy, are you seeing it. Yeah. You know, whether it's sort of CGI, superhero, slightly sanitised violence, or whether it's some you know, deeply graphic bit of violence, you rarely, you rarely are seeing what it does to people because you're not inside a character's head, which is what we do. Yeah. Um, so I think there is that, that crucial difference.
0: What do you think? Do you agree with that?
3: Yeah, no, completely. I mean, it's the visual I want, I think. Yeah. I mean, but re- they're different mediums. We're all telling stories and everything. Books and films are telling stories, but they, they do it in a different way. And with films, obviously, like Mark says, you can't be in somebody's head and you have to see it. Uh, whereas in books, you can give them much more. You can choose how to frame it. Uh, you can you can do it in different ways. Um, yeah.
4: And you've got the, the gift of the reader's imagination, exactly. which is far more powerful than, than we've got. So the, often, if a reader is, just like you said, with the book, where they're trying to search for the, the violent moment, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's the, that is such a tool in our box, isn't it? The Reader's imagination is such a great gift to have, and I find when I'm writing, I'm always, I always like to take people up to the the moment where yep. you know that there are, you know, a reader's imagination is a powerful thing. They'll think of something much worse than mm. I could have, mm. could have done, and then it's in, you know, and the fact that it's come from from them makes them. You know, sort of almost like sort of complicit in the story, and it's very personal. Mm-hmm. And I think where television is
0: something that does happens at you and to you, yep. isn't it? It's not something yep. that you're participating. Yes, right. And I just we're going to go to questions in one second, but I just wanted to ask all of the the panel a final question. Um, if uh, you were to commit the perfect murder, mm. how would you do it? Would you bludgeon to death or
5: poison? Oh, poison! I don't think I could bludgeon, but this is something that my family talk about all <laughs> <at> the time. <laughs> <laughs> and who we would go to it would be my mother-in-law to help me. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely poison. What about you? Is it bludgeon or poison? Those are the only. No,
0: you know, no, any any method. All oh, oh, right. right, any, any method. Bludgeon
5: or poison. This is a hell of
3: a game show, isn't it?
2: Bludgeon or poison.
0: So actually, Helen, Helen's changed her answer. Yeah, yeah. She so wants yeah. to Push, someone, push off someone
5: off a high building.
3: Right. Okay. What about you? I mean, that. Yeah, I would. I would say that. i have been terrible at
2: committing murder, partly because I can't. You need to be able to drive, don't you? To get rid of a body. Get away. With you. <laughs> what
0: about you?
2: By perfect, do you mean get away with it?
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, get oh, them just pissed. love it. Get them pissed. Take them swimming. Drown them. Oh. oh. <laughs> not that I've him. thought about this. <laughs> he
4: has. He has. Never go drinking <laughs> with them. or swimming. No, basically. Not both. What about you, Sarah? Um, well, I, I like the idea of the high building, um, but I, it seems—is uh, the lift working? <laughs> um, because I'm not going to go up, you know, I'm going to exert myself to do this. And then, yeah. you know, and, and I suppose the body does become someone else's trouble, problem then, doesn't it, yeah. under that circumstance. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so yeah exactly. <laughs> Are right. you, you exactly. seriously <laughs> saying you that if you were
2: felt homicidal <laughs> enough to kill somebody but it avoided a few flights of stairs, <laughs> <laughs> you'd go, oh, that's okay, forget yeah. it, you're, you're good.
4: I think I would yeah. The laziest murderer yeah. in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, I don't want to put myself yeah. out, you know. People also, people would be suspicious, because Oh, she dead. never climbs stairs. Exactly. Oh, right, okay, the cool. floors of showing on an app on her phone that she's done today. i oh, caught by a Fitbit. I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
1: what we don't want. I to thought ha- of
0: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what we don't want to happen is for anyone to be seriously injured by the throwing of the boombox mic. Oh my god. So if please. anybody doesn't want to have the mic, the mic thrown at them, please just ask for a, for a normal mic. Um, but anyway, is there any questions? Wow. Right at the back there.
3: I think you've all discussed in some detail and effectively the psychological effects of violence but one of the things which concerns me is that a lot of writers and especially television people get the physiology wrong. Uh, human beings are really quite fragile and some of these fights you see on television and indeed things in books, people wouldn't recover from, they'd be permanently disabled <laughs> uh, and you get this nonsense where someone's shot in the shoulder and three days later they're back at work with their arm in a sling <laughs> and a rueful grin. Would you like to comment on how much research you do into how harm, much harm, you know, blow on the head or a thump in the chest actually does.
0: Well, that's a good question. Do you want to start with that one?
5: Uh, yeah, I do, I do so much dodgy Googling. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable what my search history is. Some of, my sister was on the other day saying, what have you been watching on YouTube? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to know exactly what, and like I was saying before, I do like to know the details of that to make sure it's realistic and that it would do, have the achieved goal of killing the person or whatever.
0: Yeah. Because you often have, say, a detective who's been injured, or sometimes, in fact, this was, yeah, yeah you, you, the detective is injured and they manage to get up and, and, yeah. and, and save the day. I mean, do you think, do you do a lot of research into that one?
2: No, no, well, not too much, because of course the problem with research is that you then end up crowbarring it all into the book. Mm. And okay, look at all this stuff I've found out, yeah. now you're going to know yeah. about it. <laughs> um, I guess it depends what kind of, I mean, there are plenty of books that we all love that are at the more cartoonish end of things, you know, spy heroes and all that kind of stuff, where they do get seven shades of shit beaten out of them and then they bounce back up and they don't feel any different in the next book. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with those books. There are particular genre books that we all love, you know, from James Bond on or whatever. Um... But if you're not writing that kind of book, you can't pretend that, that, that a, a, pre, a person can even get smashed in the face yeah. and then be fine and write as ninepence the next day. Yeah. I don't think you need to do research to know that stuff yeah. um, without the actual details of how long it takes for a wound to heal or whatever. But.
0: What's
2: up? Um,
3: yeah, I mean, I don't do any research into that. I mean, it, you have to remember that it's fiction, I think, and you have to write an entertaining story. <laughs> and it depends on the style of the story, obviously, how gritty and realistic you're aiming to be or to present yourself as. But it has to be entertaining. And we all know that um, real life violence is, is so much, so different from a lot of violence that we see on the screen or in fiction. Anybody who's seen a fight outside a pub and how messy and horrible yeah. it is, yeah. you know, knows how different that is from like a choreographed fight scene in a movie. I yeah. mean, you have to suspend this belief a little
2: bit but it depends on the type of book you're trying to write I, I mean think. you don't want to read a Jack Reacher book <laughs> where he's spending three months in therapy <laughs> <Yeah. for them>. <laughs> 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 you want to see him kick ass right yeah. and that's why yeah. you read him. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> any other questions <laughs> have any of you ever had an idea that kind of crawled out of the hindbrain, and it's just so hideous that you've gone where the hell did that come from and decide that you really can't write it or don't want to? Ooh, he wants to
5: take that one. Uh, that's one I would probably just write. It's like, I have to write <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. If no, that's that. making me feel sick, then yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that sounds blissful. That's yeah. the <laughs> right. that's yeah. the
4: benchmark. I love the expression as well, crawled out of the hindbrain. <laughs> yeah. I'm like yeah, thinking right. now, come on hindbrain. <laughs> <laughs> You've been letting me down, let's, uh... yes, no.
0: No?
2: No, no, I think if and I absolutely an idea me. like that, I'd write in a heart. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Anybody else? Uh, this is a question for Alex, stroke Steve. <laughs> um, <gasps> unmasked! <laughs>
4: <laughs> do, does the change of name indicate a change in writing technique or kind of books that you're now writing?
3: Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Um, that's... OK. Um, I mean, yeah, what happened was, uh, a few years ago, I went through an interesting point in my career. And, um, you know, I've kind of... I wanted to make a fresh start, basically. So it's, you know, kind of, um, sort of... Yeah, that's it. That's the whole impetus behind it. It's just kind of trying to put a few things behind me and just, you know, make a fresh beginning. So, no, the the style of the book is very similar, so...
0: Anyone else?
1: So, um, you mentioned uh, television and film. they're sort of forced to show show violence, whereas a book lets you get inside someone's head. I was wondering, have you seen another medium, like film, theater, or interactive medium, that does succeed at that, you know, letting the viewer or the reader or the participant imagine rather than having it just spelled out or shown? I mean, the example I think of is seeing it once or twice where a director has, rather than showing the violence, they've shown the facial expression of a character who is a spectator to the violence, and you see them wince, so you see them, and they're helpless to stop this horrible thing. You hear the sound, you hear the noises, you, but you don't actually see any of the blood or the violence itself, you, but you see their reaction, you get the impression, so you get it through, through the acting. Can you think of any um, examples of that where, where another medium has achieved what you said that only books usually can?
4: I think it depends on the quality of the actors as well, doesn't it? And also the script. I think the script, Unforgotten, yeah. the ITV series, is very good at that, personally. Um, but I also there's a there's a stage play of The Talented Mr. Ripley um, that is superbly disturbing because it's in you're inside Tom's head in a way that uh, in a way that considers the consequences of what he's doing that the book itself, the novel by Patricia Highsmith, doesn't do. And that's quite an extraordinary... I've, I've not seen it performed, I've just read the, um, the, the play, the, the script for it, but it's, um, it's really interesting. And it, she doesn't do anything that isn't actually in the novel, but she does it in such a way that you judge the, vi- the effect of the violence it, completely differently to the way you do when you read the novel. And I would love to see that performed.
0: Sounds interesting. Anyone else?
5: I mean, I was just thinking. I think it's to do. There is TV that does it well. I think, and I'm not. To, I'm not blowing my own trumpet because I had nothing to do with the TV show. But the cry for me did a really good job of showing you what Joanna was feeling and thinking. And there's this, and it was like, it was amazing to. to the Experience actually having everyone consume it at the same time. There was a little scene where Joanna's on the plane next to Alistair and he's got his ear things, his eye patches on, having a sleep. And in the book, I write that she wanted to smother his head with the pillow. and She's having very violent thoughts, right? Um, but they all, jo, all the thing he did was look at him. But Twitter took off saying she, sh- sh- she should smother his head with the pillow, like everything that I <laughs> no, said okay. in the book. Yeah. People on Twitter said, and so they did a. Br- the scriptwriter, she was genius. She, she did a brilliant job of doing that. So I think it is possible to do.
2: I think what you're talking about is actually what you see and hear on news, the way news is reported every day. Because there's very little now that doesn't happen that isn't, as we said, filmed. The first thing people do, rather weirdly, when something horrible is happening is get their phones out and film it. And that's, that's how you see you know, terror attacks. You, what you see, because they don't show you anything on the news except people running away and screaming in terror. and. That's the stuff that's really bad. I was just listening to a radio. What was the third? There was just a, an inquest onto the whether the the, the terrorists at the Borough Market attack yeah. uh, were killed lawfully or unlawfully, and they just pay, played some mobile phone footage on the radio, and just hearing it literally gives you chills just hearing somebody screaming because he can't find his wife. They were in the same restaurant, and then they got separated, and you just hear him in the background shouting her name. And that's actually way more powerful than, than any actor you'd ever see, you know, running around, Dustin Hoffman running around, over <laughs> screaming, just hearing a real person.
0: Or it's the idea of a mobile phone ringing in a train wreck, and that's yeah. really, yeah. really yeah powerful imagery. But do you think we're becoming desensitised to violence because everyone you know everyone's got a smartphone, everyone's a a, a reporter you know do you think that we're in danger of that happening?
2: Well I hope not because what will then happen is people feel like they've got to up the ante and I think a lot of the stuff we've been talking about comes from a period just after like Silence of the Lambs you know to go back to books with Silence of the Lambs a brilliant uh, serial killer thriller but which then spawned this slew of really inferior Imitations, And everybody thought, let's just bang out a serial killer novel. OK, what's my serial killer going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's got to be more disgusting than the last serial killer. And do So you end up with that reaction yes, you were talking that, about. That people me. just laugh. This is yeah. just ridiculous. And the writer then feels like, oh, there's nothing much happening. I've got to kill again. I must kill again. Mm-hmm. I must have a character that says he will kill again when the moon is full. <laughs> and so every, every chapter, there's a new body and a new... Ve- and you stop yeah. caring. Yeah. You don't give a monkey. Yeah, and
0: they're in danger of that happening in real life yeah. as well.
3: Well, if we're talking about like with, uh, other media that are, can be immersive in this way, I think video games can yeah. do, actually oh, do yeah, it actually very yes. well. Oh yeah, of course, um, There's, I mean, I mean there are numerous examples, but the, the Call of Duty games. I mean, there's hundreds of them. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a level that was very controversial. It was called No Russian and you basically play a terrorist who walks through an airport, and, and the, no, none of the other characters have guns, so you just shoot people. Um, but you can walk through the level without shooting people and right. get to the end. Uh, but it was hugely controversial, and it was very, very strange as, as a gamer to play that. You know, and I walked through without shooting people because it kind of brought home, no, this is actually horrible what I'm doing, what kind yeah, of game... well shooting I'm?
0: prostitutes as well, isn't
3: it? Well, yeah.
0: Is there any other questions? Oh, I think, actually, I'm very sorry, but I've just seen the sign that says time. <coughs> so thank you, everybody. Can we give a huge round of applause to our panelists?
2: They've been amazing. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Fiona. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this event by Harrogate International Festivals. Don't forget to rate and subscribe for this podcast. For more events, recordings, resources, and information about our arts charity, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com.